Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Black tax is the tax that young professionals pay for helping out their family, right? Like once you get the bag, you got to help everybody around you. Finally get the money and now you don't even get to keep all the money because you're paying a tax to help everybody else out. I know I went through that. Like when I first touched the money, like my first objective was to go back and help my people. And then I almost went broke. But a lot of people do that. A lot of people like, all right, boom, like I got this money, like boom, like here, here, here. Let me let me help everybody. But not even knowing, like, let me just take that same money and try to multiply it, and then I could come back and feed the tribe. Because all you're gonna do is really just give the money to somebody, and they're gonna blow it anyway. Now we all back to zero. Mm-hmm. You got to make the money first, right? So once you make the money, you have to save the money. Mm-hmm. Once you save the money, you have to multiply the money. Mm-hmm. Once you multiply the money, you got to maintain what you have. Right. And then once you have done all four of those, then you can explore giving the money away. Describe myself in two words, rich and unemployed. These stones cost two birds. Let it count it when she bored. Deposit hit chicks clearing ace. Nothing void. I know that ain't my ex calling for. Null and void. Where we going? Money going up. Money counting. My money going up. She still counting. Money going up. He ain't got it. My money going up. Like prison population. I've been popping more than lately. If I want it. Nah. It don't count too much. All right. Welcome again to the Rich and Unemployed Podcast, the number one podcast in the world. Gotta manifest it. And today we have the lovely lady, Jacqueline. Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Jacqueline Shattuck. Am I close enough to this? I it think seems so. Really far away. Okay. Okay. Let me just. Fix Can it. y'all hear me? Let me fix it. Okay. I'll hear you now. Okay, that's probably better. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for having me. I'm mm-hmm. Jacqueline Shattuck. I'm a certified financial planner, and I help people understand their money. Hmm. That sounds pretty simple. And that's all you do. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Can you explain what do you do for people? You do you work for people, right? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Okay. So it's it's interesting. I realized lately from being on the internet that a lot of people are not internet. familiar <laughs> with. Uh, we might need subtitles for that. A lot of people are not familiar with what a certified financial planner is or what they do. So the best way for me to put that in the context for you is to explain some of my story. Okay. So we were talking before this, and I was telling you I'm from Northern California. I grew up on a thousand acre ranch, and just to give you all this short story, the property was sold out from under us when my grandfather passed and my mother inherited $1.4 million. She lost $1.5 million in four years. I questioned why. I was like, that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how I went from having one pair of shoes as a child to having my first designer bag and shoes to having nothing again, like all within four years. So I started asking questions. I was like, this doesn't make sense. This isn't normal. Something is going on here and nobody could answer my questions. So I decided to become the go-to person to understand investments, economic cycles, recessions, how to plan um, your budget, health insurance. Never had health insurance or dental insurance growing up, right? So I was like, there's got to be somebody out here who understands all of these different investment vehicles. And because I couldn't find anybody, I became that person. So I became a certified financial planner because we are trained in all of these different areas of personal finance. Right. So does that make more sense? Makes perfect sense. Okay. Now, okay. I think I might need one. Well, I might need one, but I had to basically learn myself, like, because I had it, lost it, had to get it back. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's go back to your mom. Like, did you figure out, like, what happened? Why did she lose all this money so fast? Well, Mm -hmm. how fast did she lose it? Within four years. So what happened? And y'all remember, like, 
a million dollars isn't the same million dollars that it was 10 or 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so she actually tried to go get financial advice. Mm -hmm. And the financial advisor that she worked with wasn't a fiduciary. So a fiduciary is somebody who works in their client's best interest, mm -hmm. right? They work on behalf of their clients and they're supposed to do what's in their client's best interest, right? And so this financial advisor took one goal that my mom had. So my mom had three kids at the time and a fourth one on the way. And so one of her goals was to plan for her children to be able to go to college. So this advisor opens up 529 funds, puts pretty much all of her liquid money into 529 funds. 529 funds are investment accounts that are specifically for college. So the money that you put into a 529 is tax deductible depending on your state. And then it can grow tax free for your children to go to college. And then when it's time for them to go to college or they kind of change the rules now, it can also be private school. But when that time comes, you can also access that money tax free. Mm -hmm. So in my mom's case, there was no planning done around the money she was going to need. So he put all of her money into 529 funds when she needed to access it, not for her children to go to college, just for her to survive. She had to pay a bunch of penalties, fees, on top of it's 2008, so everything is down. On top of, you know, my mom didn't have any money. So what happens when you go find like, you know, a single mom with three kids who lives in a, you know, two bedroom apartment and you give her a million dollars? What happens with that money? She's probably gonna spend it all, right? Mm -hmm. So there was a little bit of behavioral finance that also took place in that situation, but 2008 caught a lot of people off guard, right? So. In her case, she really just had a financial advisor who did not educate her. Mm -hmm. And you took upon yourself to go to college for this. You had to go to college for it? I did, I did. So I explained the story very like A to Z of like, okay, I found out that there was this problem and then I became the solution and fast forward 12 years later, here we are, everything is perfect. But that journey was super long, very up and down and really honestly difficult. And so I was in college and I was supposed to be becoming a dentist mm -hmm. and that didn't happen because all of these personal finance questions came up and I was like, yeah, this doesn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. So I realized that finance was actually a degree you could get. So I was like, cool, I'm gonna do that. And in the process of doing that, I came across the certified financial planner online and I was like, cool, that's the person that I need to be. Got it. Check. So I switched my major, started studying finance, um, graduated with honors and then went on to pursue the certified financial planner designation, which is actually pretty difficult to get. It has a lower pass rate than the Georgia bar. So it took me about 14 months to get that. How many times did you fail? I did not fail. Oh, okay. So you can take it up to five times in your lifetime, mm -hmm. but the first time I took it, it's an eight-hour test. So you literally test for like four hours, and then you take a break, and then you test for another four hours. So in the second four hours, I was like, okay, I'm really tired. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm done with it. Like, I'm tired. But then I was like, wait, you're going to have to do this all over again if you don't pass. And so I just found the extra boost to be mm -hmm. like, I got to pass on the first time. Mm. So what type of clients do you look for? Clients that I look for, I'm in this point of like attracting, and I know that may sound crazy, but I'm in this point of like just attracting my clients. So I don't really look for anybody. Historically, my career has been spent with people over the age of 50 who have like $5 million or more. Mm -hmm. So that's been where most of my expertise has come. But I think you can attest to this, like once you get the money, then what? So I got the money and I was like, this is cool, but I don't feel like I'm making an impact. I don't feel like I'm really helping the people that I set out to really help understand money. Mm -hmm. So that's when I started doing more online. I started doing more podcasts. I came out with my financial transformation course. I wrote a book, right? So I started to do all of those things just to help more people understand finance. So my goal and my heart and my mission is really just to help empower women with the financial confidence that they need mm -hmm. to make the decisions in their life because everything that we do is based off of money. The time you wake up in the morning has to do with the money that you have, has to do with the job that you have. All of that is intertwined. So mm -hmm. as much as people like to avoid the conversation of money and it's so taboo, it's necessary conversations that we have to have. I mean, look at this. Like this sits here for a reason, right? <laughs> like we all need it, we all want it, it's desirable and it can change your life. So I'm here to help women get more of that.
Okay, so you say you're, most of your clientele is like 50 and older. So you don't have anybody around their 20s and their 30s. So historically, my business has been 50 and up. And over the mm -hmm. last couple of years, I decided I wanted to help more people who maybe don't have $5 million yet. So now who I work with looks a little bit different. It looks more like us. Mm -hmm. So like, could you help like the average drug dealer? <laughs> <laughs> um, I can definitely help the average drug dealer. However, they have to be ready to employ legal methods of growing their wealth, right? Mm -hmm. This is no Ozark situation, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm not laundering anything, mm -hmm. like, so, but I mean, I can help anybody in any situation. So at the beginning of my career, when I started learning these really high, like ultra high net worth strategies to mm -hmm. make and keep your money, like what the 1% of the 1% are really doing. Yeah. When I started studying that, I was like, okay, this is dope. But at the same time, I started also understanding pro bono work, like working with people who are like, yeah, my, my landlord is trying to evict me. I haven't paid rent for three months. I'm disabled, like what do I do? I started taking some of those cases because when I decided to pursue financial advising, my my mom was foreclosing on her house mm -hmm. right like that's how she, how much she had lost the money like she everything was gone she had to foreclose on that house that she purchased the one and only house she's ever purchased right mm -hmm. so as i'm learning these techniques to work with the ultra high net worth i was like okay what about this other pocket of other people i realized i don't understand a foreclosure i don't understand the process i don't because my mom was like hey can you help me get the house out of foreclosure and i'm 20 years old at this point and she was like, you know, just call this person. So I called them up. I was like, what's the process? What's going on? They were like, the house is being foreclosed on today. So unless you write a check for 30 grand, the house is gone. Mm. And I was like, yeah, I don't have 30 grand. So that, that, that's kind of how I have worked. And so I think that there is a huge need for all of the people in the middle, right? And wealth management has traditionally ignored those people. And that's because it's wealth management. It's meant for people who already have the money, mm -hmm. right? So what about the people who are still trying to work to get the money? Who caters to them? Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so what do you actually do for the person? Let's just say someone came to you and they had a few million dollars. Like, do you put a plan together and execute it for them or you just tell them what to do? I put the plan together and I execute it for them. So the first thing that happens when any client comes into my ecosystem is what I call a financial audit. Okay, so a financial audit, audit is me just taking inventory of your entire financial life, everything that touches your personal financial life, right? So from your business to any insurance that you may have, how you plan for generational wealth. I have a lot of generational wealth meetings with clients because a lot of times people who I'm working with are paying the black tax. Are you familiar with the black tax? No. Okay, so the black tax is the tax that young professionals pay for helping out their family, right? Like once you get the bag, you gotta help everybody around you, mm -hmm. right? So that's called the black tax because you finally get the money and now you don't even get to keep all the money because you're paying the tax to help everybody else out, mm -hmm. right? So we're dealing with that. So I take inventory of all of those things that you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And I help you make sense of, okay, this is the safe way to invest your money. This is gonna yield you the, the most return, right? And because I work on a fee basis, I have a duty to work in your best interest, right? Because you're gonna pay me a flat fee and then I'm gonna design this plan for you. I'm gonna help you implement it, right? As opposed to me being like, well, there's all these pieces that you need and with each piece you need to pay some kind of a fee associated with it. No, it's just one flat fee and I help you with everything. What's this fee? <clears throat> I don't know if I can say the fee on here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can say the fee on here, but Is it a lot? Uh it's it's definitely a pretty penny to work with me. Yeah. And how long are you working with this person? Um, so the financial audit, everybody who comes into my ecosystem does a financial audit. And the beautiful thing about a financial audit is I spit back all the numbers and all the knowledge that you need to know for your financial plan. And then our engagement is done unless you wish to continue further. So you come in and you say, okay, cool. I want to do all of these things. Great. We did my financial audit. And then you decide like, hey, you know, I'm going to go do the rest of this on my own. Like all of the advice that you gave me, that's cool. I'm going to go do it on my own. Mm -hmm. I'm like, all right, that's fine. Or you can decide 
decide like, no, I want to work with your team ongoing, right? So then we work on a monthly basis. We're working through implementing everything that comes through your financial audit, right? So you're getting help with the investments, with the business, the taxes, everything. So you pretty much got to be knowledgeable in a lot of areas like crypto, stocks, insurance. So you basically filled your brain up with all this stuff because you got to know like where to put this money at. Are you ever wrong? I haven't really been wrong. And part of that is because portfolio design, right? So portfolio design is if you were to take a picture of all of the assets that you have, right? So all of the investable assets that you have. So across the stocks, the crypto, the ETFs, the mutual funds, what does your portfolio look like? And the beautiful thing about it is it's more of an art than a science. Mm -hmm. So to be like, oh, were you wrong? How many times were you wrong? It's more of an art than a science, right? So, like, even with the market being down right now and things being kind of rocky, like, are you, is, are, am I technically wrong right now? Like, mm -hmm. how does that work? So, it's really more of an art than a science, but my clients have a very healthy track record. So, you don't help them make money, you just help them manage it. Do they make money with you? Like, no, I it definitely makes money, for sure. <laughs> That sounds interesting. It's oh. new to a lot of people, right? So I, I like to study things, I'm kind of a nerd, and the financial planning industry wasn't even birthed until the late 60s. So if you compare that to like law or medicine, mm -hmm. it's really a, a relatively new field. So a lot of people are not familiar with financial planning. Most people don't have financial planners, right? Unless you're really part of the 1%. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm teaching a lot of people to do is like, we have to mirror what the 1% are doing. We have to mirror what the wealthy are doing if that's the way we want to lean, right? Mm -hmm. So different things in terms of like tax planning or just basic things. I didn't realize that most people don't understand that they need to stop using their debit card. Mm. And just use credit cards. Yes, you absolutely need to use a credit card for multiple reasons, right? Like one is just the safety of your money. You keep swiping your debit card and if somebody hacks your account, then they have access to all of your money. When you swipe a credit card, you're using somebody else's money, right? Mm -hmm. And you have all kinds of red tape there in terms of like what your legal responsibility is for the fraud on that account. Mm -hmm. So that's huge, especially considering Georgia is in the top like five states for fraud. Mm -hmm. um, that's really, really big because, you know, fun fact, 70% of all debit credit transactions run through Atlanta, Georgia. So it's important to know like, okay, we need to start implementing using our credit cards because it's gonna protect us, but you also get rewarded for the swipes that you have, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are like, well, the reward's really small. It's one to like five or 7%. percent they're like, that's not, a, that's not a lot. And I ask what you're getting paid to swipe your debit card. Nothing. Nothing. Mm -hmm. So if I can get another 5% back or so somewhere else, that's 5% that I wouldn't have had, right? And mm -hmm. 5% of your budget of $2,000 may not be a whole lot, but you start making more money, you start spending more money, mm -hmm. right? So then 5% of $40,000 in a month is a lot of money. Mm -hmm. I was going to do a podcast about money management because I've run across a lot of people, like during this pandemic, I know a lot of people that came up on some money. I know a lot of strippers that make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And these people be broke, right? Like mm -hmm. you make... I asked this girl how much money she makes. She say, well, I make like 20000 a month. I said, well, how much money you got saved up? Well, I don't have much saved up. So I'm like, what are you really doing with your money? Like, what are you doing that you're spending twenty k a month and don't have nothing to show for it? Well, I just be eating out and buying clothes, and it don't make sense to me. Like, I mean, I've been through that phase where, like, I mean, I'm making a lot of money, and I'm spending as I'm going, and it took me for, the, for me to lose a lot of money to be like, hold on, let me wake up and like reevaluate some shit. Like, so, I mean, I get it. I, I, I get it. I don't know if I might need a, fun, uh, a planner. Mm -hmm. Maybe not now in my life, but I mean, I feel like I'm about to come across like a lot of money, like the things that I'm doing. So maybe like, mm -hmm. I hire you. Maybe you should have somebody in your corner that's overseeing everything. 
But to your point of money management, like that honestly just breaks my heart. And I have an inner circle mentorship and they were kind of talking through some things yesterday. And one of the women was like, yeah, you know, I'm 40 years old. I've been making, you know, over $100,000 a year for the last 10, 12 years. And I just don't feel like I have anything to show for it. Mm -hmm. And that is really that really hurts me right because even my mom is in that situation where like she doesn't have anything to show for having mm-hmm. 1.4 million dollars like to for having that inheritance and so I don't want that for other women like it's definitely hard to be in the nail salon and hear strippers mm-hmm. in a way they're spending money and the struggles that they're going through and I'm like look it's really simple like we have really o- we have historically overcomplicated money. Mm-hmm. The first day I walked into my first finance class, my you know 65, 70 year old white professor walks in and he says, "Hey, you know what? Uh, all of these financial institutions are intentionally trying to confuse you because they know the more confused you are, the more money they can make off of you. Mm. And so as soon as he walked in and said that before he taught us anything, I knew that this class was going to be really simple. Mm -hmm. I knew that getting this degree was going to be really simple because I said they're inherently trying to confuse you. There's nothing confusing about it. It's very, very simple. Every time people ask, like, what do you do? I'm a financial planner, financial advisor. They're like, hmm, so you're good with numbers. It's really simple math. Like, it's really simple math. It's not complicated. So if you spend more than you make or you spend everything that you make at the end of the day, what do you have to fall back on? And we all went through 2020, so we know we need something to fall back on, Mm -hmm. and $1,000 isn't enough. (laughs) Why do you think people, like, when the more money they make, the more they spend? Why? It's called lifestyle inflation. And we always seem to move the line along, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a phrase that I tell my mentees and it's content but not complacent, right? So how can you be content with what you have but not be complacent to the point where you get stagnant? Mm -hmm. Because if you're not growing, you're dying. So how can Mm -hmm. we be content without being complacent? And so when it comes to your money, you have to learn to be content content with a lifestyle that is less than what you actually earn. Mm So if you actually earn $20,000 a month and you could have a $20,000 a month lifestyle, you need to learn to have a $12,000 a month lifestyle so that you have an extra eight that you can make moves with so that when you don't feel like dancing on the pole, you can chill out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But that's real, though, because even like strippers and my clients who are nurses i'm like i can't hang out with y'all and realtors i can't i just can't hang with y'all because y'all have a fifty thousand dollar a month lifestyle and i swear y'all spend fifty thousand dollars a month right like my nurses are the worst because they're like yeah i know i just blew a bag but i'll just pick up an extra shift next week it'll be good right i'm like yeah okay (laughs) and you're gonna continue to cycle my advice to one of my stripper friends was i was like listen you just need to just slow down you don't need to go out to eat you need to just buy some groceries Girls gonna cost you like two, three hundred dollars. That'll save you for a month, right? Instead of spending hundred, two hundred dollars a day on food, hundred dollars on groceries, two hundred dollars on groceries, and then just stop shopping. Just sit in the house. Really, that's really a lot of people's problems. Just sit in the house and try to figure it out. That's what I do though. Like, I know like going out, it costs me in Atlanta anywhere from like a hundred dollars to a, a couple thousand, just depending on the weekend, like a section, bottles, and I don't even drink. I'm buying bottles for other people. Like, so I had to just cut a lot of people off. Like, listen, I'm not, I'm not going out. And that saves me a lot of money just by just saying no, sitting in the house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have to find that balance. Like, what is that sweet spot? Because knowledge will tell you, don't go to the club and buy a bottle. Wisdom will tell you, okay, I got to go to the club sometimes and buy a bottle and hang out with people and be social, right? Mm -hmm. So you got to figure out what that balance is. And I can tell you that balance is not spending $100 to $200 a day. Because once you start to learn the math, Mm -hmm. you understand, okay, it actually is really simple. If $274 a day is $100,000 in a year, and I spend about $200 a day on food, mm-hmm. I just blew a bag on, on food. I just ate my investment, basically. Mm-hmm. That's what you're saying. You ate your investment. Like, why are you eating your investments? That's not how that's supposed to work, okay? So, so dial it back. Like, even ordering, like, a meal prep service, right? Yeah. Finding some ways to, to budget your money. But you'll get a lot of financial advisors and gurus and influencers that will tell you like how to budget to death, mm-hmm. right? They will tell you, you need to do this and it did this and that and that. And I'm like, 
okay, it's not even that complicated. It's really not even that complicated. Like you can make it really simple. I always tell people that they need to be budgeting like it's 2022 or the year that it is, 2022. So they need to be using an automated tool to manage their money, right? So I'm recommending people use the app Mint, M-I-N-T, or Truebill, T-R-U-E-B-I-L-L. Have one of these apps on your phone. You create an account on the app, and then you can link all of your bank accounts, investment accounts, everything there, so that you can quickly open it up and see like, okay, last week I spent $4,000. What did I spend $4,000 on? Like. Did I need to spend $4,000 on the things I did? Mm -hmm. So then you can reflect on next week, right? So uh, with my mentees, I have Financial Sunday. So Financial Sunday is literally 15 minutes where you open up your damn app and you look at what what you spent last week, right? Mm -hmm. You take 15 minutes to just reflect on what you spent because I know like looking at the numbers in your bank account is what's going to hit you the hardest. And that's going to get you to move, right? Like when my bank account was at like $2,000, I was like, okay, I got to make some moves. Like, I got to figure something out. Mm-hmm. So you got to double check. Like you need some reinforcement, some accountability, and that's yeah. a good way to enforce accountability. Seeing it visually, seeing where your money's going visually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think I need to implement that. You do. But I don't have a bad, <laughs> I don't have bad spending habits. Like I might splurge, you know, like a weekend and then like, okay, that will be it for like a month or two. Like I don't have to just spend, spend, spend. But let's talk about black tax, right? Because I know I went through that. Like when I first touched the money, like my first objective was to go back and help my people. And then I almost went broke. But a lot of people do that. A lot of people like, all right, boom, like I got this money, like boom, like here, here, here. Let me, let me help everybody. But not even knowing, like let me just take that same money and try to multiply it. And then I could come back and feed the tribe because all you're gonna do is really just give the money to somebody and they're going to blow it anyway. Now we all back to zero. Mm-hmm. No, I, I like that you shared that. And I like to put things into perspective for people about money. And so one of the ways that I do that is to talk through the five stages of money. Right. So the first stage is making money. Like I did this real one time where I was like, yeah, this is what you sound like when you come to a financial advisor with like a hundred dollars saved. I'm like, we can't talk about anything because you haven't made any money. So step number one, you got to make money. And I teach people how to make additional income in my course if they need help with that. But you got to make the money first, right? So once you make the money, you have to save the money. Mm-hmm. Once you save the money, you have to multiply the money. Mm-hmm. Once you multiply the money, you got to maintain what you have, mm-hmm. right? And then once you have done all four of those, then you can explore giving the money away. Mm-hmm. Like that's the fifth stage of money. So the black tax unfortunately forces us to move those stages around, right? Mm -hmm. So how can you best manage those five stages while still taking care of your people, right? Again, you have to find that delicate balance and understand that you've got to learn how to multiply and maintain your money before you give it away. And it's really, really harsh, right? It's harsh to be like, no, I can't help you right now, but... It's the reality of you can't pour from an empty cup, right? Mm -hmm. Put on your oxygen mask before you help others. You got to be in a good place or you're not going to be able to help other people out. Right. Um, I know like during the pandemic, right? I think think the problem is, is once they get the money, they show it off. And now it's attracting these, these family members, these friends, like, bro, what's up? Like if you, once you get the money, I think you should just hide it. Don't even show that you got money. Like, if you're making a lot of money, like, my realtor friends, like, they be showing me, like, these $10,000 checks, $20,000 checks, and they be ready to just go blow it and then just show everybody, like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing my thing. I think you should just hide the money, like, put it up. That's, like, back in my day when my background is fraud, like, when I was making a lot of money back in the day, like, I buried it because I know, you know what I'm saying, like, what could happen to it. Like, I would have been had it, lost it, but, like, I feel like, People shouldn't show off so much and you wouldn't get that many people coming after you trying to get your money. Yeah, you shouldn't show off really at all. Like a lot of people don't understand this, but I had a hundred thousand dollars invested in a brokerage account before I bought anything designer. Mm. Before I buy anything designer, before I buy any luxury car, I had a hundred thousand dollars saved. So 
maybe that needs to be your threshold. Maybe mm. whoever's listening to this needs to know, like, okay, I'm not going to buy another designer item or another bottle until I have $100,000 saved, which at $20,000 a month in Atlanta, Georgia, shouldn't be that difficult to mm. get to 100 bands really quickly. So I think some people may need to implement that kind of a rule for them, I implement a policy, right? So I had an article that went viral on Market Watch, which is just kind of like CNBC or a news article for investment people. And the headline, which I didn't write, Marty wrote it. Shout out to Marty, I appreciate you. But the, ha the headline that he used was, I promised myself I'd never be broke again. Financial advisors, family loses 1.4 million. But what stood out to me was, you know, like I just told him quickly in explaining my story to him that at 17 years old, I promised myself that I would never be broke again because it was terrible. Like to go from $1.4 million to nothing, I was like, okay, this sucks. Like, what do I do about this? And so at 17, I promised myself, I was like, yeah, Jack, like you're never going to be broke again. And like, I haven't been broke since then. So I had to figure out ways to manage my money because I was like, you're never going to catch me with no money in my account. You're never going to catch me saying, oh, I can't do that. I can't afford that. I can't go there. Now I may choose not to go there, but you're never going to catch me being like, oh, I couldn't afford it. Right. Or, oh, I got to go pick up an extra shift to cover this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. Like that was never going to be me. Mm -hmm. So it was funny to your point of like bearing money. I had an economics professor, he was wild, and he gave us this uh, example of inflation. And the example that he used was with his brother who was a drug dealer. So he was like, yeah, me and my brother, you know, we used to be drug dealers and, you know, uh, you know, he had 10 grand and I had 10 grand and my brother took 10 grand and he buried it, right? I took 10 grand and I went and invested it. So, you know, the money that was buried after a year, how much money do you think was there that was buried? So everybody was like, you said you buried 10 grand. So like, unless something ate it, like it's still 10 grand, right? Mm -hmm. And he was like, it's not though, because the way inflation works, right? So his 10 grand is now, you know, less than $10,000. Whereas I went and invested my money and he was like, I was able to double my money in a year. So mm -hmm. now I have 20 grand, right? So he's explaining the power of inflation, which I think is important for us to talk about in this day and age when the prices of everything is just going up, right? So inflation is just a general rise in the price of goods and services. And so with inflation really, really hot right now, like how do you invest your money? You cannot be sitting in cash, right? First of all, you can't afford not to invest, but you also can't be sitting in cash, right? So these are things that I think a lot of women need to hear in general because we actually make better investors than men. Hold on. Repeat what you just said. <laughs> Women make better investors than men. Why do you say that? Forbes, it's true. Oh, it's an article about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, okay. I didn't make it up. It's oh, true. I thought you made so, it up. <laughs> no, so women make better investors than men, and I'll explain it to you this way. If I have $100 in Apple stock, and Apple stock goes to $50, how much did I lose? I lost 50%, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I lost 50% on Apple stock. Now, how much of a percentage point do I need to go from $50 of Apple stock back to $100 of Apple stock? I lost 50%, so... have to make 100%, right? Yes, it would have to be 100%. Mm -hmm. Because this is the way math works, right? $100 drops down to $50. If I said that it was going to be 50% to get back to 100 that's not how math works. 50% of 50 would only be 25, mm -hmm. right? So if I got another 50% return, it would be $75. I still need another 50%. Mm -hmm. So it's a 100% return that you need from a 50% loss. Now, why is that so big? It's so big because the number on the gain side is double the number on the loss side. Mm -hmm. So that means that you have to make double that money back after you lost it. So that's why in the wealth management world, we have a conversation of risk capacity versus risk tolerance. How risky do you need to be with your assets? Because the more losses you take, the harder it takes to get back to a W. Mm -hmm. Market losses are one of the three killers of your wealth strategy. And so what happens is men tend to think they know the best investment plays. And so they keep moving their Apple stock around. And they keep buying it here and buying it here and moving it there and selling it there. 
And what happens is over time, women end up with better investment returns because we don't touch our face and we don't touch our investments. Hmm. We let the money work the way the money is supposed to work. Men tend to be a little bit more hands-on, a little bit more grabbier, and they're just trying to move everything all around. Like, let the money work. Let it do its job. You keep interrupting it while it's trying to do its job. Mm. So women tend to make better investors, and that's according to Forbes. So basically men are more riskier, more gamblers? Essentially, yes. More speculators. I get that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how true that is, because I, I need to see facts. Need to see facts? Yeah. Okay. We'll have to do a fact check. I'll have to pull up the Forbes article. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. Um, are you German? Kinda. Kinda? Kinda. I'm kind of on a journey to find my dad. I don't know him. So my last name is German, but it's kind of a long story. So I don't know if I'm German. I did do 23andMe, so I'm in the process of figuring it out. Allegedly, my dad was a stripper. He said a lot of strippers listen to this, so allegedly my dad was a stripper. I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> What's your mom, black? My mom's white. So you're She's white. Irish. You're white and German. When yeah. I open 23andMe, I will let you know. Okay, I just asked because your last name. I was like, I wonder if she's German. Yeah, how did you know that? It just seemed like a German last name. It is. There's actually a castle in Germany outside of Frankfurt called the Shattuck Castle. When my article went viral, a bunch of Shattucks like, emailed me and stuff and were like, are we related? And I'm like, absolutely not. Yeah, the article go viral. Yeah, the Market Watch article. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. When was this? November. Oh, it was recently? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Viral in what sense? Like online or the news? What? Yeah, viral in the sense of like the news. So I had like a ton of people in the industry who were like, yo, we saw your article. Because Market Watch is like, it's kind of like CNBC. And so you have investors that read it, but a lot of financial advisors read it. Oh, okay. And what were you talking about? That was that title, I Promised Myself I'd Never Be Broke Again, Financial mm. Advisors, Family Loses $1.4 million. Yeah, that was that. You told your story. Yeah, I told my story. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It's been wow. interesting. Is that where you gained, like, your following? That's... No. No? No. <laughs> <laughs> so what, like, where did the following come from? You just built it up brick by brick? Yeah, I just kind of decided to be on social media in 2017 as a certified financial planner and just been running it ever since. Mm-hmm. There hasn't been a whole lot of intention behind there. Like, in terms of financial advisors on social media, I'm like the gym, the headline. But, you know, when you start getting into, like, social media, you're like, yes, it's like you're following this baby. But it's cool because I'm just out here to spread, you know, the good gospel of finance. So, mm, I don't want to get too much into relationships. I just want to ask you this. Like, like, when you meet a guy that <laughs> has money... Like, do you automatically just start telling him, like, you know, or trying to help him, like, financially, like, planning his life, planning his financials? Goodness. Look, I try to help everybody that I come in contact with. So Mm -hmm. my therapist made me take this test, and it showed that I'm an advocate, right? So Mm -hmm. I like to help other people. And I was like, that makes sense. Because even as a child, when it's, like, not even really explainable, I'm, like, doing a bunch of stuff to try to, like, help out around the house and, like, help with the other kids and stuff. So I'm naturally an advocate. So I naturally try to advocate for other people and help them, right? Mm -hmm. So, for example, I told this story on another episode we did. Um, the episode was called Tax Bracket Boo. That's on our podcast. And in the episode, I kind of shared like some dating stories that I had. Mm-hmm. And so one story I had, should I, do you want me to share it? Should I share it? Okay. So I'm out. It's like a Saturday night. My friend wanted to go meet this guy at a bar. So I tag along, right? So I'm just hanging out at the bar. I see this guy. He comes up, orders a bottle, and he's like by himself. So I just don't really think anything of it. I'm kind of like watching TV, just chilling. So he comes over, he offers me a glass. The lady gives me a glass from behind the bar. So we kind of sipping this champagne, whatever, just chilling at the bar. And he keeps making references to being rich. And I'm like, he doesn't know I'm an advisor. I don't publish that I'm an advisor, right? So he keeps making these references to be rich. So the third time I said, look, dude, if you make another reference to being rich, I'm going to ask you to pull out your online banking account and show me that you're rich. 
So he did it again, being drunk. And so I was like, let me see this account. So he pulls it open. It has like, um, there's like one or $2 million in it. So I was like, hmm, you do have a little bit of money. Okay. Cause I mean, you, looking at him, you couldn't tell, right? Mm-hmm. He actually, he, yeah, I'm going to be quiet about that. So I don't give him away. But so, yeah, so he pulls out, I said, oh, okay. So you do have a little bit of money about you. But the next thing I noticed was I was like, wait, this is sitting in a Bank of America savings account. Like, why is this sitting in a savings account? Like, this should be invested. Mm-hmm. And he ended up becoming a client, and I ended up helping him, but he came over as a romantic interest. So that happens a lot. I just end up advocating for other people and helping them with their finances. Hmm. So what about the guys you actually date? I don't leave the house, guys. <laughs> you don't leave the house? I don't leave the house, guys. You left the house when you, you left the bar? You gotta leave the house to date. That was pre-COVID. That was pre-COVID, guys. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to go too deep. I, okay, the point I'm trying to make, like, okay. If in the past, have you ever, if you ever, does it come off too aggressive when you try to like fix? That's a good question. So I have never tried to fix anything. Mm-hmm. Like I may make a suggestion, mm-hmm. but I had to learn early on in my career, you can't save everybody. So remember that learning curve I had? I was working with really wealthy people and I was like, hmm, what about the people who aren't wealthy? We ended up taking on a client who was 33. She had nine children. They lived in a two-bedroom apartment. Their ages ranged from like 17, 18 to like two months. Um, her mom had been hit by a Marta bus and died. And so she like inherited this money, right? This was the payout from Marta, which was nowhere near what it should have been. Um, but nonetheless, we helped her out. And so I learned in that particular situation within you know two years of my career that you really can't help and save everybody because what she did with that money was she went and bought a house, she furnished the house, she went to Miami and she blew $200,000. She had less than a million dollars. She didn't actually put her money into the investments that we recommended. None of that ever happened. So she blew all of that money. I do not know what happened to her. My assumption is she probably lost the house for not paying her property taxes. I'm just not trying to assume the worst, but she blew all of that money within like a year. So you can't help everybody. So I don't go into any situation thinking I need to tell you what to do with your money. Mm-hmm. I come into the situation and I just am myself. And if something comes of it, great. Yeah. But I just don't, I don't offer that up for people, but I am naturally an advocate. So if you keep making references to being rich and if you show me that you have over a million dollars sitting in a savings account, I will make those suggestions for you, right? And I feel like it is my job as a certified financial planner who looks at things comprehensively, holistically, like from a very aerial view. Like if I'm able to, you know, quarterback some things for you financially, why would I not do that? Like there's no need to hold all the knowledge to yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Like we've done that as a society for decades. We don't need to do that. So I try to point out where I can, but I know that like it's not my job to make anybody do anything. Mm-hmm. $200,000. In Miami, it was wild. We were like, wait, what? You can't invest your money right here where we told you? Because you, I was... Mm-mm. Then she had just a bunch of cash at the house. She lost like $60,000 in cash because like one of her sons got into her safe or something like that. And so there went $60,000. Like you lost $60,000? Hmm? You just lost? Like it just disappeared. So I've seen a lot in my career. I wonder what that lady doing now. Hmm. I'm so worried about the kids, honestly. Hmm. Nine kids? Nine. At the time, and one of them was two months old, so, you know, she might have just kept going. There was a really hard part in that, um, you know, she was 33 years old, and she didn't know how to write a check. 
And this is 33, like 10 years ago, right? So we were even closer to checks then. But you guys will know, like, once you start dealing with big money, you start doing like big investments, like yeah. you're doing wires or, you know, you're doing checks. You come sit down, write a check. Like yeah. when I go to the property auctions, I bring my checkbook, like, and I feel super old. But yeah, I bring my checkbook because that's the easiest way to get the deal done. It's just to write a check on site. They like that. So, um, so you do sometimes other things. you got to write a check. What else you do? I do all the things because I took a different philosophy, right? So I don't look like your average financial advisor. So none of my techniques have ever been average. And I realized in my first year or so, like as I was pursuing my CFP, I was like, yeah, um, I thought I was going to get out of college and be rich. And this $40,000 isn't doing it. And what else can I do to increase my income, right? I was like, okay, I'm going to get my designation, but the designation only bumps me up to like 50000 So it was like, that's still not enough. So what do you do? Like even now, our industry, like people are super underpaid. That's why I'm launching my accelerator, right? So I have a digital advisor success accelerator to teach people to do what I do, but to make over six figures doing it because I've done the research. I went and looked at like all the job sites including I've worked for most of these companies, but they want to pay somebody with seven, eight years of experience, 50 to $60,000 a year. That's not enough. Like you spent 10 years slaving away to your career and learning these things, right? 10,000 hours of financial planning and they want to pay you $60,000 a year. That doesn't sit right with me, especially when your company brings in because the way financial uh, investment advisory firms are set up, you can pretty much calculate their revenue pretty easily. So if I can calculate your revenue and I know you're bringing in 50 million and you have eight employees and you want to pay somebody 50,000 who has 10 years of experience, like that just doesn't sit right with me. So I want to teach other people how to be successful in this field because you can't do one thing. So back to your question of the one thing, I was like, this ain't going to be it. So I had to figure out some other things to do. So I flipped some businesses, I bought some real estate, I did some Toro, you know, I did some Airbnb. Mm -hmm. I hopped around and I wanted to do all of those things because not only was I underpaid or what I felt like was underpaid, I also was like, how can you call yourself? Because I advised with a lot of these firms, right? So the other thing that I did was I started a consulting business. So I started consulting for these advisory firms. That's how I worked with so many of them and I don't know the inner workings of it. And so as I was working in these firms, I was like, okay, this doesn't sit right with me that I can talk to 50 different financial advisors and none of them know anything about making money in today's day and age. Nobody was talking about crypto. Nobody was talking about um, any of the other ways of making money that I just listed. Nobody's talking really about real estate. They're not talking about, um, you know, NFTs where they were not really a conversation back then. But nobody was talking about any of these new ways to make money. Nobody's talking about Turo, Airbnb, like all of these other ways for you to earn income. And I was like, or credit. That was the biggest thing. Nobody understood credit. Nobody talked about credit ever. I was like, this is ridiculous. What are they teaching? What are they? I can't work with y'all. I was like, I can't work with you guys. Hmm. Right? So that's why I always had to do consulting because I was like, look, I come in, I do what I need to do, I get paid, I get out. Um, but I was like, you know, when you, when you work somewhere, like from nine to five, Monday through Friday, like that becomes your identity. Hmm. I know people want to have this identity outside of work, but you're spending most of your time at work or asleep. So that's hindering you from being the person that you really want to be. Mm -hmm. And that was a big problem for me. I was like, I'm not even getting to be myself. I got to wear these FBI suits is what I call it. I was like, I don't want to wear this FBI suit. Mm -hmm. Like, and I, you just, you can't be yourself. You can't wear the things. And I was like, life is too short for you to tell me what I can and can't wear. And I know we say that life is too short, but really think about it in terms of like, my 20s are too short. Like my 20s are only 10 years. In mm -hmm. the beginning years, I was really broke. So that wasn't any fun. So how can I get to live my 20s out? Like how can I get to live my 30s out? How can I get to live my 40s out? Like that's more of how I'm looking at life as like this next 10 years. Like how can I live my best life during that time? Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's kind of what I mean by like life is too short. I mean, it is too short, obviously. Like we, we never know, but I just think that it's too short for somebody to tell you you can't wear open toe shoes. <laughs> um, back to your accelerator. 
So I was thinking that you were teaching people, I don't know, but you teach people to do what you do. No, so I teach people all the things I was telling you about, the financial audit, how to understand their money. I teach them all of those things, right? Understanding investment accounts. One of my strategies that I go to is the triple threat investing strategy. So I'm teaching consumers how to do this. But I'm not going to lie, I wanted to speak at one of the largest conferences in the Financial Planning Association, mm -hmm. and I was told that I was too young and I was too black. So that put a chip on my shoulder, and now I want more young black people to be making more money than their boss, and that's what the accelerator is for, because that industry is not made for us. We're not welcomed there. They're not going to pay you anything to be there. So how about you work there for a little bit, get some experience, and then I'll teach you how to 10x that. They told you you was too young and too black. Too young and too black. Who told you that? And I'm probably not even. It was that blunt, or like somebody was like, you know what, I ain't gonna fuck with you because. It was, it was the reverse statement. It was, uh, well, you know, this is really suited for people who are 50 and up and white. Okay, so that means I'm too young and I'm too black. Mm -hmm. Got it. Mm. So you basically teaching people to do what you do, but. Not without you. So they can, they don't need you. They basically go through this accelerator and now they know how to manage their money well, know how to invest it better. No, so I have two programs. So I have the financial transformation course. So mm -hmm. that's for people who want to manage their money better. Okay. My accelerator is for people who want to do what I do. Ah, uh, okay. But I thought you had to go to college for it. The CFP you technically have to go to college for, but you don't have to become a CFP. Right. To do what I do, you don't have to be a CFP. It helps, but... Are they going to trust these people? Like, you ain't certified. People trust people who aren't certified all the time. Very true. There's like, maybe, maybe like 25% of the industry is certified, and maybe mm -hmm. even less than that. So you have a lot of financial professionals, and you're probably going to get some, some hate on this one, but you got a lot of financial professionals who are not certified, um, don't know anything about giving comprehensive advice. Like I told you, I really prided myself on being fully educated. Mm -hmm. And I felt like in order to be fully educated, I needed to go work for these different types of companies. So I did that. I also knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, so I went and had a bunch of random odd jobs, but all of that has helped me to understand how the industry works, right? And a big way to understand what kind of financial advisor you should employ is understanding how they're paid. Like, how is this individual compensated? Because we all know we're, we're, motivated, we're motivated in our job by how we get paid, right? So it's understanding how that individual is compensated. You're so smart. Um, Thank you. Well, this has been a great interview. Um, be was honest, it heavy? No. It wasn't heavy? Okay. I think it was very informational. Um, I learned a lot. I know before this, I didn't know nothing that you did. I didn't know what you did, really. I just follow you on Instagram, and I know that you speak a lot about financial literacy, financial advice. So that's why I was tapped in. But like now I have a clear understanding. So, well, tell these people how they can find you. Um, you can give me a link. I could put it in the description. Yeah, we'll, we'll put a link. We'll make it easy. But I'm Jacqueline Plans on all social media platforms, and that's my website, too. Mm -hmm. Jacqueline Plans on. Okay. I appreciate you guys tuning in to the greatest podcast in the world. You see how I manifest that, right? Give me, like, another year. I love it. And make sure you subscribe to the channel. Make sure you buy some merch. And I'll see you guys next time. Oh, yeah, my name is Vanessa. Please address me as such. Thank you. <laughs> yes, my name is Vanessa. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.